as I'd served communion a few moments ago, I was thinking a little bit about grace. Because God gives us blessings that we do not deserve because of his kindness. And it's not because we've done anything. It's because he's generous and good. And as I turn to the word, it's through grace that I preach. I believe that God works not because of anything I am doing, but because in his kindness, he blesses us through his word. And so today, I want to go back to the book of Luke, and we want to finish our series in Luke's gospel. Because I, as a Christian, want to know Jesus well, because I want to be devoted to his teaching, because I want to obey his commands, And because as a preacher, I want to accurately preach the same message that he preached and to experience the same power of the Holy Spirit. Because of all of those things, I want to know accurately about what he did and said as is recorded and preserved for us in the Gospels. So beginning today, I want to return to the Gospel of Luke to finish seeing all that Luke recorded for us so that we as a church can know with certainty the things that are true about Jesus. And it's my prayer that God would use this in our lives powerfully so that we know Christ and live in His power so that we are ready for His return and His rule. We did one message in Luke 19 before the Christmas holidays. It seems like 10 years ago. But now we are returning to the second half of Luke chapter 21 and want to describe very clearly what Jesus says will happen in that generation and at the end of the world. Jesus has been talking about the future in this chapter. He has said very clearly that the temple would be destroyed that persecution would come on the church, and that his followers would even be killed. And if you had been paying attention to the life and ministry of Jesus, and you'd been learning from his teaching, and you'd seen him work miracles, this would have come as a shock to you. You wouldn't think Jesus is going to let this all implode, and terrible things are going to happen, he's going to die, and then those of us who are still trying to be faithful to him are going to be persecuted and killed. You would not think that this is the message that Jesus would be preparing his followers for. But this was all part of the definite plan of God. In fact, I want to mention, because... December, you know, you finished your annual read through the Bible plan. I finished reading through the book of Revelation and also towards the the end of the Old Testament. The book of Zechariah tells you so much about the things that Jesus talks about here, about the plans that God has for his people and the plans that God has for the whole world. And if you have questions about the message I'm going to preach, I would urge you, maybe jot this down, read the book of Zechariah. It's pretty short. Read the book of Revelation, and there's much that's confusing there, but there's much that's clear that helps you know everything Jesus says was foretold even before Jesus came, and all of those things will take place exactly as God has described them. So in the second half of this chapter in Luke 21, Jesus prophesies, not only will the temple be destroyed, he's already said that at the beginning of the the chapter, but that Jerusalem will be destroyed. And not only Jerusalem, that there will one day be worldwide chaos before his return. And he tells us, as his followers, what to do to be ready in those times. 
And, you know, if you paid attention to the news during the past week, people are buzzing about World War III, and, and who knows what's going to happen if, if Iran retaliates. We just don't know. The future is uncertain. And so perhaps this is an especially fitting time for this message, because Jesus says before his return, you will hear wars and rumors of wars, and those things will increase before the end. So look with me at the first point today, the future of Jerusalem, what Jesus says in verses 20 through 24. Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for those women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I want you to notice a few things about this text. The first, as you look at the destruction of Jerusalem, is the purpose of this judgment. You can see it in two different places. First, verse 22, he says, these are days of vengeance. And then you can see in verse 23, that there is wrath against the people of Jerusalem. Now, why is that the case? Again, you can look at the Old Testament. You can see how, especially in Isaiah, as the Messiah is promised to the people and the people reject the Messiah, that God judges the people who reject his Christ. And so if you think about the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in 70 AD, I believe it's a direct fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that because they rejected the Messiah, that they paid for their own sins as God brought wrath upon them, and it was to fulfill all that is written. And then at the end of verse 24, Jesus says that this desolation of Jerusalem will continue until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You see God's definite plan taking place exactly as he's described it in the pages of Scripture. But I believe it's important for us. On one sense, you could take a look and say, you know, there's a historical reality. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. This happened in the past. The question is, what does it mean for you and me today? And I believe the answer to that question is, this stands as a warning for us. You are responsible to respond to what Jesus has done for you. Do you personally believe that he is the Messiah? Because if you do, you will find salvation and blessing and hope and life. But if you also reject Jesus as your Messiah, this prophecy and this fulfillment of prophecy stands as a warning that there is nothing but wrath if you reject Jesus Christ. And so I would say to you very clearly today that you need to decide what you believe about Jesus. And if you believe that he's the Messiah, and if you believe that he's the Savior who gave his life for you in your place, you need to commit and be a faithful follower of Christ. You need to do the things that he teaches you to do. 
And if you reject Jesus Christ and you say, I don't know if I believe he's the son of God. I don't know if I believe he's the Messiah. I don't know if I believe that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. Recognize that that is not a neutral position. But that rejecting Christ will bring the judgment of God as as surely as it brought the judgment of God down on Jerusalem. Notice also what Jesus says at the end of verse 24, that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, there is a lot that you can read about this, and there's a lot that you can learn about it. I would point you to Romans chapter 11, where Paul talks about how there is a time when God deals with his people differently, his people, the Jews. If you read the Old Testament, God chooses Abraham, says, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But he creates a nation through Abraham's children and their family. And that nation is called Israel. And God blesses Israel in different ways. And through Israel, he sends prophets. And that's why we have the Bible, because men wrote down what God told them very clearly. But when they reject Jesus... The people of God as Israel are no longer blessed by God. They are under his judgment. But the Bible teaches that that is not a permanent situation. Here in this passage, it says this will be the case until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And in Romans 11, Paul describes how one day God's people, the Jews, will recognize the Messiah that they missed. In fact, you can also read about that in the end of Zechariah. There will be a day when they look upon one whom they have pierced, when they look upon Jesus who was pierced through his hands and through his feet, and they will recognize that they missed what God was doing. And in that time, Paul says, all Israel will be saved. So there's going to come a time when the times of the Gentiles, which I believe are right now, are fulfilled and ended, and at that time, Israel will recognize the Messiah, and they will experience a time of blessing as they accept the Messiah that God sent them to be saved. Now again, what does that have to do with you and I? Well, I believe that now, God works through the church, and we gather together to worship Jesus Christ as our Messiah, but we don't just come together so that we can have like a little club and a good time and focus on the word and learn some things. God has given us a mission very clearly. And the purpose of the church is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ globally. And so the scripture describes that there will be a definite time when the times of the Gentiles are over And every last nation has heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for us as a church, this is why we engage in global missions. And I want to add that we have been faithful in missions for many years, but I want to make sure that we as a church think of new ways to engage in global missions, that we recognize that this is our responsibility, and we ought to think through, are there places that the The good news of Jesus has not gone yet. And what can we do as a church to help the gospel spread to places where it hasn't been yet? One of the things, I don't know if you heard it, as we listened to that passage read by the Apostle Peter just before I came up. Peter says that we can hasten the return of the Lord. That we can speed up his return. How do we do that? 
We do it by spreading the good news of Jesus so that the good news of the gospel goes global to places that has never been before because Jesus won't return until every last person has heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I would urge you as a church and myself to make sure that we are faithful in the area of global missions. Not only that, I would also urge you to recognize some of the things that Jesus says here are directly relevant to you and I, because Jesus is telling his followers that this period of time between when he ascends to heaven and when he returns in power is not going to be easy. So do not be surprised at pain and loss in this life. The generation that he's speaking to was going to experience horrific violence And it will be the same at the end of the world. And if that's the case, you and I should not be surprised when we have trouble in our own lives. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but do not fear. I have overcome the world. And I want to be very practical because I've heard people in our church ask questions like, what did I do to deserve this? Many of you have experienced the pain of divorce. Some of you have experienced the loss of a child. And I want to be clear. Jesus says that this world is going to be full of trouble. And that trouble will only increase before he returns. So do not be surprised, but instead, trust in your Savior to carry you through the trouble that he has ordained for you recognize that Jesus will be faithful to you in your trials. And so I want to urge you, do not be surprised. I think the scripture teaches it's right and healthy to examine yourselves, to ask Jesus, Lord, is there any sin in my life that I need to forsake? Is there anything that I need to repent of? But the answer to that question may be, no, I I don't know of anything. And so if that's the case, recognize that the trials and the trouble that you experience sometimes are just a result of the times in which you live. And God has a purpose in that, and God has a plan for that. Be faithful to trust him that he has a plan. So we've seen the future of Jerusalem. Jesus says it will be destroyed, and it was. Now notice the future of the world in verses 25 through 28. Jesus says there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves and people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Notice what's very clear in this passage. I believe Jesus is talking about a time that has not happened yet. If you look at verses 20 through 24, I believe that has already taken place. And it's a picture of what will finally take place in the end of Revelation. But I believe you could say those verses have already been fulfilled. I don't believe you could say the same of verses 25 through 28. I believe Jesus is telling you and I what will happen in the future. And here's what's clear. There will be global turmoil that is both political and 
It will also be the type of natural disasters that we're distressed about now. Jesus mentions the roaring of the sea and the waves. And I would encourage you to to look at the news and recognize we don't know if Jesus is going to return very soon, but you certainly see an increase in reporting of natural disasters and you certainly see global turmoil that could boil over into war at any time. And so by no means do I want you to be afraid. That's the complete opposite point that Jesus is making. Instead, I want you to recognize that your Savior could return soon. And notice Jesus' tone and his attitude in verse 24. Now when these things take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He doesn't say, run around like a chicken with your head cut off because it's terrifying. He says, straighten up. Your redemption is drawing near. What is redemption? The picture is this, that you are in a place where evil is everywhere. But when Jesus returns, you will be brought out of that place and rescued. Your hope is in the return of Christ. Jesus is going to bless you as you look for that redemption. So, counterintuitively, when things get bad, Christians ought to have a hope that grounds them. You ought to be the type of person that is not afraid when you watch the news or listen to the news or read the news. You ought to be the type of person that says, maybe Jesus is coming sooner. And maybe he's going to rescue us out of this exact trouble. And so be encouraged and be hopeful. Recognize that the future that brings the end to the world is the same future that brings hope to the believer. So if you don't know Christ, be warned. I would urge you, trust him today so that you're ready. But if you do know Christ, be encouraged because your redemption is coming sooner and sooner. Notice that as Jesus talks about the future of Jerusalem and the future of the world, that the future comes with warnings. In other words, the future comes with signs that the kingdom of God is close. Look at verses 29 through 33. It says, and he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As you see, as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And what Jesus is saying is that you can anticipate the end of the world by watching what he has just predicted. And I want to be very clear here because there's a verse here that is difficult to interpret. And I want to handle it with great care and tell you what I believe it means Look again at verse 32. He says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now what is he talking about? Clearly, he's not talking about his return. In fact, I would urge you, this is another case where some other passages of Scripture can be very helpful. John the Apostle, who was there and heard Jesus say this, clearly states that Jesus never said the apostles would not die before his return. See John chapter 21, verse 23. 
In fact, Jesus clearly predicts how Peter would die and clearly states that Jesus never said anything about returning before the apostle John would die. And you also heard from Peter's second letter in our scripture reading that Peter wants you to know that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. He is an eternal God. For us, a thousand years seems like an immeasurably long time. But for an eternal God who has existed before creation and will never cease to exist, it's like a day. It's like a drop in the bucket. And Peter says that there will be those who expect that Jesus will never return because it's taken a long time. If the Apostle Peter is teaching people Jesus said it's going to take a long time, then Jesus can't be saying it's not going to take a long time. So recognize that the people who knew Jesus best taught that the return of Christ would take some time. In fact, I would also mention Matthew twenty four fourteen. This is a direct quote of Jesus. Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In other words, he says, Until the gospel is proclaimed globally, the end will not come. And Jesus said that. Now, Matthew is not contradicting Luke. Luke records Jesus saying something very similar at the end of the book. In Luke 24, 47, Jesus says the gospel must be preached to all nations. And that's a job that's not going to happen in a single generation. So if Jesus is saying all of those things, he can't mean the end of the world is going to come in a single generation. So the question is, what does he mean? Well, I believe what he's referring to by all these things, he's referring to what what must take place in order for his return to be imminent. Look again at verse 29. He says, he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. In other words, he's teaching that there are signs that the end is near. And I believe what he means by all these things is the signs that the end is near. In other words, Jesus is teaching that the end could come at any time and that the signs that lead to the end will give you a sense that his return is imminent, that his return is soon. And so I would point you back to the destruction of Jerusalem and say that Jesus foretold that Jerusalem would be destroyed And as people saw that happening in 70 AD, they would recognize the truth of Jesus' prophecy, and they would know that he could return at any time because the signs that led up to his return had been accomplished, and the church has always believed that the return of Christ could be very soon. I would encourage you to think about the fact that Jerusalem does fall within a generation of Jesus giving this prophecy. And as a result, the judgment of the world and the return of Christ could happen at any time. And when it begins, the end will come very quickly. And so Jesus urges us to be ready. And so the future not only comes with this sign of Jerusalem falling, but the future comes with very clear instructions. Look at verses 34 through 38 with me. Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, 
and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Jesus gives very clear instructions, and I think it's unfortunately almost the exact opposite of what many people do with prophecy. Jesus says, watch, but he doesn't say, watch so that you can accurately predict who the Antichrist is and what will happen at the end of the world. He doesn't say, watch something external and outside. He says, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Turn inward. See if you are ready for this kind of turmoil, this kind of fear. He warns that it's possible that your heart could be weighed down with dissipation and even drunkenness and the cares of this life. In fact, I would point out to you, these instructions here give you a really good indicator that Jesus was not teaching the end of the world was going to come in a generation. Because if there's a danger that you would become complacent, it means it's going to be some time before he returns. But back to the point, he's warning that you and I, if we're not watching ourselves, we'll forget that Christ is coming and we'll forget the turmoil that comes and instead we'll dedicate our lives to things that ultimately do not matter. Jesus says, watch yourself so that you don't become compromised. The fact that it's been 2,000 years, as Peter said in 2 Peter, has caused many people to act as if Christ will never come at all. Christians can be caught up in the trap of enjoying life with no thought to the return of Christ. And so I want to ask you very pointedly, could it be that you are too complacent about the return of Jesus? Are there things in your life that you would be ashamed of if Jesus were to return today? If that's the case, then I want to encourage you that you can respond to the words of Jesus through repentance and you can be joyful at his return as you trust that he is your redeemer, he is your savior, he is your rescuer. But if you are caught unaware, then you will be ashamed when you see him. And so I want to urge you today to examine your life to see if you need to change. Jesus taught not only do you need to watch yourself so that you don't become complacent, he also said, make sure that you stay awake and that you pray so that you have strength to escape these things, so that you have strength to stand before the Son of Man. Now, I don't know if Jesus is going to return today or tomorrow or next week or how soon the return will be. But those instructions are valuable for you and I, no matter how long the Lord waits to return. He wants you and I to pray that we have strength to escape the things that he has prophesied about. Now, perhaps we'll die before that happens. But even if we do, you need the strength of the Lord to endure the trials that he will place in your life. And one of the sources of that strength is prayer. 
And so I want to ask you, Jesus is teaching you, make sure that you're ready. Are you praying for strength? I think there's times when you experience hardship and trials and fear. You know, if, you're, if your car hits a little patch of ice and you slip out of control for a minute, prayer for strength is the most natural thing in those moments. God help me. And so there are times when that kind of prayer is very, very easy. And yet Jesus is teaching you that you don't wait until you have the trouble to pray for strength. You pray for the strength now. And part of the reason that we need the strength is because of the warning of complacency. God, give me strength so that I don't have a cold heart that doesn't care. God, give me strength so that I don't become complacent with my own sin and justify it and think that it's okay. God, give me strength to repent as I should. And so I would urge you, learn to pray for strength. And I'd like to lead us in that kind of prayer in just a moment. But but we can't just pray today and be done. That would not be obedient to what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is teaching that we need to maintain this type of prayer. He says, at all times that we would have strength. When you get up in the morning, pray for strength. When you have lunch, pray for strength. When you you sit down to eat, don't just say thanks for this food. Pray for strength. When you read the news and, and you recognize how bad things can be, pray for strength for yourself and for our nation's leaders and for our world's leaders and pray for the church globally, that the church would be faithful. You know, I read an amazing statement from a church in China. Their pastor was just arrested. He was tried. He was convicted. Uh, they, They accused him, I think falsely, of undermining the state. And so they sentenced him to nine years. Nine years of prison, away from his family, away from his church. And the church issued a statement that that described their faithfulness to Christ. It's an awesome statement. I I would encourage you to to read it. And I'll actually post it to Facebook a little bit later if you need help finding it. It's so encouraging to read of a church being faithful in that kind of persecution. And we need to pray that they would have strength. Pray that the church maintains its witness no matter the cost. And so I want to urge you, make praying for strength a habit. Pray that you have the strength to escape the trials that you have. Pray that you have the strength one day to stand before the Son of Man. And the good news is that God loves to answer our prayers for strength with a resounding yes. He will give us all we need because Christ has paid for it and His will is that you would be faithful. Would you pray with me now? Our Father in heaven, Lord, there are some who do not believe that Jesus is the Savior. I ask that you would have mercy, that you would open their eyes, that you would give them the strength to repent and to find forgiveness of sin and hope in Christ. Lord, there are some here who are complacent, who are not serving as they should. I pray that you would have mercy on them, that you would lead them in a kind of repentance, that they would be faithful so that they are not ashamed when they see you face to face. Father, it takes moment by moment diligence and strength to stay awake and persevere as your people. I ask that you'd give it to us. Lord, we don't have the power in ourselves to be faithful, but you do. And so we as a church are calling on you now. 
we ask that you would give us renewed strength to keep us faithful until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength to fulfill the mission you've given us as a church, that we would spread the good news of Jesus first here in Holly, but also around the world. May we be faithful in supporting our missionaries. May we be faithful in praying for the global church. May we have a vision to take the gospel to people who have not heard it, who are not hearing it. And Lord, in all of those things, give us strength for endurance. It's not something that we can accomplish today or in a week or even a lifetime. Lord, give us the strength to endure as your people. And we trust that you and you alone will do the work for the glory of King Jesus. And we will praise you for all of eternity for how you answered this prayer and our continued prayers. Lord, give us strength to persevere. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.